Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, Champions League. In London, it's surge and destroy as Nabry gives Chelsea their worst buy-in experience since signing Shevchenko. In Madrid, KDB and Jesus leave Real in pieces and return leg will be one that Ramos misses. Next up for City from the Bernabeu to the Carabao Villa in the League Cup final 9-1 across their last two meetings, this could be tied. We look ahead to that, two derbies that aren't derbies and a huge weekend of action in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And we're off, listener, with you alongside us. Woof. Duncan Alexander's here. Hi, James. Hi, Duncan. Julian Laurent struggled in through the snow. Bonjour. To you too, Julianne. And the one, the only, Pat Nevin is here too. Hi, Pat. Hi, uh, Struggling through the snow. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> he said in front of a Scotsman. Right. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a flurry out there. There is a flurry. Nice word, <laughs> by the way. Pat, uh, how's it going at West Ham? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been it's been interesting, you know, because I woke up and my wife came upstairs with the newspaper and said, uh, you should have told me about this, that you're the new West Ham coach. And I said, well, somebody should have told me, because right. I don't know. <laughs> so it's another Nevin. Yeah, it's Paul Nevin, not right. Pat Nevin. But uh, honestly, it took legs and ran. What, they actually put it in the paper that it was you? Yes. Good luck. So I mean, and, and a nice story with it. Oh, Pat and David are old friends, which is true. Right. And went into <laughs> such detail that I would be very good for the club. And I'm going, yeah, but there's a kind of minor problem there. It's right. not me. All right. Well, so uh, to sum up, after the the first round of last 16 matches, uh, pretty rough time for the English clubs. Only Man City managed to actually score a goal and indeed win. It wasn't great for Spanish sides either, although Atletico Madrid got the win. Real Madrid humbled. And how about Napoli's performance against Barcelona? Leon flying the French flag, though, Jules. Yes, great win. If you preview that game and preview the, the Chelsea-Bayern, for example, it was similar. For Chelsea to beat Bayern, they had to be excellent in both boxes, mm. which they were not, and they got hammered. And for Leon, it was going to be exactly the same against Juve. And as good as they were in the first half and they hit the band and scored that goal, they were not so good in the second half, but defended so well, like like really heroes. And Juve could not find a way. And... and they might still get out in the second leg, but that first leg was was very, very good for them. You know who has done really well? Which nation's team has done really well? Not just in the Champions League, but the Europa Germans. League? Germans. It's the Germans. They've won every knockout game so far in, as I say, both the Champions League and the Europa League. Although, of course, there's a whole bunch of Europa League games coming up this evening. How about that? How Bundesliga. can we keep across those games? Anyway. Yeah, actually, Duncan, it's, uh, they're, they're all going to be broadcast on, on BT Sport. Oh. And yes, there is a gold show from 8 o'clock, Jules. Indeed. We'll be on the gold show uh, pretending to know what on earth is going on across <laughs> eight Europa League matches. Nice. Damn. Okay. Uh, let's begin, though, with what we do know, what has happened this week. Starting off with the big one Wednesday, Real Madrid Man City. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Real Madrid, uno, Man City, dos. The shock scoreline at the Bernabeu on Wednesday night. A huge win, this, for Pep Guardiola against his old enemy on the field and arguably Man City's new ones off it, a la UEFA, the suits. What a performance, Duncan. Yeah, it was an intriguing match. I saw a few people in the first half sort of complaining there wasn't much going on, but it was tactically really, really interesting. I mean, I think the fact there were no offsides until very late on in the game showed how deep 
particularly Man City were sitting. You know, they were often just had the defence strung across their own penalty area at times. Even so, when Madrid took the lead, you did feel it was going to be another one of those nights for for City in Europe. But they uh, they stuck to the game plan, which was, as well, I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, an unusual Pep special in Europe. Right. Okay, so Pep, uh, his two highly rated striker, he dropped one and fielded the other as a kind of left wing back, and then he stuck two midfielders up top. What was the game plan? And I'm going to say, did it work? I mean, obviously, they did win, but did it work? Yeah, I think it worked. I think the game plan, like he explained on BT Sport after the game, was they, they thought the the weakness in that Real Madrid defence was Carvajal, which I think is fair. I, I think a lot of people could have also uh, found this one out. You know, if you look at Mendy, Varane and Ramos and then Carvajal, and to exploit the weakness of Carvajal, if you put, let's say, Bernardo Silva, because Sterling is not fit, otherwise Sterling would have, would have started. But Sterling is not fit enough maybe to start that game and you look at it and say, OK, if I put Gabriel Jesus there, he can cause a lot of problems to Carvajal. And then we put Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne. De Bruyne, who's already played that sort of nine and a half position against Arsenal, for example, he was really high as well. And, and because he plays so well between the lines, that was always going to be a good position for him. And then Bernardo Silva too, just cause problem with, you know, his pace and how quick he is with the ball and everything, his movement to mess things around a bit. And I think he worked perfectly because Gabriel Jesus had a big impact. Sterling had a big impact when he came on as well against Carvajal again. And then Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne caused loads of problems. Even if Bernardo, if you look at his game, you think, well, what did he do really? But just by his movement, he would have caused problems to Ramos and Varane. It was similar to what they did against United in the away leg of the Carabao Cup yes. semi-final. So that was almost like a, you could almost imagine that was a kind of practice run for Pep thinking ahead to the to the Real Madrid game in some ways. But yeah, I mean, it, it works, as you said. Um, I thought it was quite a nice touch that uh, City in their Hacienda-themed kit conceded to Isco. Right. Which was, you know, one letter short. <laughs> one letter short. <laughs> yeah. um, do you remember the film Days of Thunder, the Jerry Bruckheimer vehicle? Of course, the yeah. uh, NASCAR. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise uh, yeah. Nicole Kidman special. That's where they... That's where they got together. It is, yeah. But you know the scene in it where he's lost his nerve and he's he's sort of driving through the smoke. Smoke, yeah. Yeah. Remember the back. And he comes out and and you can feel the kind of the fear and the and the worry drop away as he's like I'm back. It felt very much like that when City equalised in that game. Suddenly, you know, a brilliant cross from De Bruyne digging it out, Jesus uh, jumping, heading it in, and it felt suddenly like everything just all the tension fell off City. Right. After that, they were cruising Pat. Like the metaphor, uh, my metaphor was uh, really, it's one of those things when you've had an injury, you know, a cruciate or something like that, but you, your first block tackle, you're worried about it, you're worried about it, you're worried about it, your first block tackle, you hit it, gone. Everything gone, you never ever think about it again. And it was a wee bit, days of thunder in your knee kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it was you know, a bit like that. Um, I agree with it. The tactics, I thought, they were really interesting because immediately they seemed daft. And I have to throw in a name here. Andy Roxburgh did it. Uh, I remember doing it when I was playing. And you're going to love this. <laughs> Against Italy. And the, I think it was Maldini at the back along with some other pretty good guy. Go on, who should it be? Uh, at the back. The very, the this would be in, in Rome, the, yes. the build-up to the 94 World Cup. Is Correct. So, so yeah. Rezi was... So who did they play up front? Uh, Kazaragi? No, who did we play up front? Oh, who did you You play up front? I have no idea. Exactly, (laughs) me. So they wanted to play me up front. Very much Bernardo Salva-like. Right, yeah. And the idea is, there's no point in putting up a normal centre-forward against them because they probably ain't going to do it. Mm. And, you know, but if you put someone who's completely different, but does a different thing in a different way and brings people in in a different way. And I like to think, and immediately I I saw that, 
And I had a particularly successful night that night against Italy because I got food poisoning the night before and couldn't play. <laughs> but it's not on you. It's right. not undone. It's, it's done before. I've not seen unprecedented. It before, and I like it. I still think this is all secondary to the biggest tactical shock that Pep pulled off in the evening. He decided to play two centre-backs in the middle of his defence. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever seen Pep. <laughs> it's been a long time. He didn't last long, to be fair. He didn't. No, Half an hour. That, well, that is the big cloud, over it? It's yeah, Laporte's yeah, injury, yeah. which we still don't know how long he's going to be out for. Right. Uh, him, him coming off crying doesn't look good, no. to be fair. Although Fernandinho did do a, a stand-up job once he dropped back to take his place. What about Man City scoring a penalty, Duncan? I think we can now accept that... Um, that Edison is not going to be taking a penalty mm. for, for Manchester City. <laughs> it was a brilliant penalty from De Bruyne. Obviously, he missed his only other one for City, but he tucked it in the, you know, in the reverse corner, and he looks like he's been taking them for years. So I think that's probably closed that book. It, it, there is a but, a slight but. Oh. It was against Thibaut Courtois, who's yeah. rubbish at saving penalties. Yeah, yeah, he's notably really quite poor at them. Right. I mean, the entirety of the time at Chelsea, it's almost... It didn't look great either on Gabriel Jesus's goal. I mean, I still oh, think he's a great goalkeeper. He should save the header mm-hmm. big time. Um, the other Sabada news uh, involving a player going off before the 90 was, of course, Sergio Ramos picking up that uh, almost unprecedented well, red card. Yeah, it's, it's very rare for him to be sent off. 26 now in his career, which is right. quite a in lot. In his career, just for Real Madrid. He's halfway so you to don't a full count deck. Yeah. Yeah. You don't count Spain and you don't count Sevilla as well. How 26, many with them? 26 just at Real Madrid, oh, which wow. is quite incredible, to be fair. Yeah. But mm-hmm. in the pantheon of Ramos red cards, I think this one was one of the one of the harsher ones. I mean, yeah. I don't think it was a... What do you mean? Harsher in which way? Well, He's I, the last defender. There's we, a foul. I'm the foul, I'm foul I'm is there, right? I'm with Duncan. It, it, it's, it's a foul, right? So why I'm wouldn't you so give sure. the red card? He runs across him. I mean... I, you can't rule out the dark art. I mean, this is a man that managed to dislocate Mohamed Salah's shoulder oh, without even oh. looking. But <laughs> come on, he never. <laughs> that, that man is a genius well. if yeah. he meant that. I mean, they never meant that against him. Yeah, I, I think it was harsh. I'm, I'm with Pat. Okay. Yeah. Sergio Ramos, by the way, has more career red cards, according to Hugh Davis, than the three most sent off players in Premier League history put together. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I'm a big fan of Zidane, and I, not just because he's French. And did you interview him recently? Jules? Yeah, I, back in November 18, but the video only came this week. Oh, really? Yeah, they kept it, and it's a really interesting. Not because I did it, but it's a very interesting video on his approach as a manager uh-huh. and his relationship with players. And it's it's funny when he says like, I can't tell Cristiano Ronaldo or Luka Modric how to play football because mm. they they're the best in the world. However, I can put them in the right environment to make sure that they play as best as they can. It's a very interesting interview and I would have loved him yesterday to win the tactical battle with Pep and he didn't and that that saddened me because I think when you're second best on the night like they were on Wednesday night and you're lucky to get 1-0 up because there's a mistake by Rodri, there's an even bigger mistake by Walker and you still manage to score. I think after that you have to be very, very wise and clever in the way you're going to manage your team and to take off Vinicius who was really the only one to be able to create something just with the pace. And I know he's young and sometimes he's a bit all over the place, but at least he was a worry for the for the city defence. And you take him off, okay, fair enough. But at least if you take him off, maybe strengthen your midfield or maybe, I don't know, go very defensive and bring another defender. I don't know, anything. But to replace him by Gareth Bale, 15 minutes before the end, when you're 1-0 up in a game that you should never be in the lead... I thought it was a big mistake and he came back to haunt them because... That's when everything happened. After that. That's yeah. And it's not it's not Gareth Bale's fault if, if they conceded two goals, but I, I think that was a wrong decision to make. Do you think there's a few Madrid 
Tistas, you can say it probably better mm-hmm. than me, who think it was probably Gareth Bale's fault. There's a good <laughs> opportunity to blame Gareth on that one. Very possibly, Pat. Now, for Real Madrid, they got Barcelona this weekend, while City go from the Meringues to Aston Villa. League Cup final awaits them Sunday. We'll talk about that soon enough. But next up, let's hear about the game that you two went to see at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday. Player returns department. Oh, hello, yeah. I'm trying to return a striker, please, a Brazilian. Uh, I want my money back, basically. Oh, what seems to be the problem with him? The problem? He's £40 million worth of rubbish. That's the problem. He was supposed to help us achieve our goals, but, uh, well, I don't think he knows what a goal is, to be fair. This fellow's had more haircuts than goals. Uh, sorry. Says here you've committed to a five-and-a-half-year deal. This Geordie manager can't get his money back, but you can with Paddy Power's money-back specials. Paddy Power. T's and C's apply. 18 plus On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Davis bursting into action again, leaving Christensen for dead. Lewandowski waiting in the middle, tapping! Robert Lewandowski, that's 39 goals this season for Bayern Munich's hitman. Yep, Tuesday, Pat and Jules were at Sanford Bridge to see Chelsea humbled 3-0 by a rampant Bayern Munich in this week's second biggest story involving an exposed willy yep. after the Tory MP, of course. A couple of tweets here. Daniel Story says, it points out, in the space of five months, Bayern Munich have inflicted Spurs' worst ever European home defeat and now Chelsea's worst ever European home defeat. Duncan Alexander offers that 4.5% of all the home goals that Chelsea have ever conceded in the Champions League have come since Ben Fogel make a new life in the country started earlier this evening on Channel 5. That's incredible, Duncan. Yes, what the Ben Fogel It was got an amazing show. For... No, but the oh, right. the um yeah, the fact that that's almost 5% of all the goals they Yeah, it was more than I was expecting when I looked it up. Um <laughs> <laughs> genuinely. I mean, I don't even know. All right, so there you were at the bridge. Did you witness the new favourites for this year's Champions League? Uh, I'm not sure, really. Um, Why? What could stop them? uh, I just don't think Chelsea are good enough. (laughs) 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 Joking, I said. Um, No, I like them a lot. Um, I think Chelsea got it wrong, tactically. And by the way, I understand it, and I would have made exactly the same mistake myself. So you have to sometimes hold your hand. They went for a 3-4-3. Right. Um, it worked so incredibly well against Spurs. Um, I was at the Spurs game on the Saturday, and he was really impressed by how well it worked. They put this high tempo, fantastic. And I thought, yeah, you got to stick with that. And it worked against Spurs away. He thought Jose Mourinho, you got to go for that. But in the back of your mind, they tried the same against Arsenal. And it was shambles. Mm. So it, it was one of those ones, do you take the chance? Took the chance, wrong. And the reason why it was wrong, the variety of reasons why it was wrong, Jorginho and Kovacic usually completely dominate games. Um, but there was two of them in there, two midfielders in there against the quality of Bayern. And they never got a kick. And I'm not just making that up, and that's just not a phrase. They got 35% of the possession, Chelsea, at home when they're a possession-based team. Mm. Who, When they played Manchester City at home, Chelsea had more possession than Manchester City. So it didn't work. That was completely wrong. But in, in many ways, it's not Frank's naivety. It's just that that's a perfectly reasonable mistake to make. Or, right. you know, and whether it would have been different any other way, I doubt. But had you put a midfield in there for Chelsea with, if you had available, availability of Kante, yeah, Kovacic and, you know, Jorginho, I'm not saying Chelsea would have won because they were second best in every area. Right. But it wouldn't have looked like that. So not to go over carried away with Bayern. I like them, but favourites, right. not sure. Okay, because a lot of people have tried to stop them in the Champions League this year. So far, no one has managed it. They've won 
every single one of their games in the competition. They're only the third team in Champions League history to do that. Curiously, the previous two, Barcelona in uh, 2002-03 and Real Madrid in 14-15, and neither of them went on to win the trophy. But I feel like Bayern, and we, we were talking about this a little bit with Rafa in Tuesday's mm. show, have gone under the radar a bit because they started under Niko Kovac and it felt like they were another of those teams that was performing well because of their big names rather than how they performed as a team. Now, under Hansi Flick, that's completely changed. Yes, yes, you're right. And and I, I thought, I have to say, apart from the fact that Kimmich and, and Thiago Alcantara were amazing in midfield, and it's just a pleasure. To, if you go to a game and you can just spend your game watching them play and the movement and obviously how good they are technically and how well they complement each other. But I thought the way Bayern played in triangles, often in two, three touches, and considering the fact that they've got a right-back in Pavard who's not a right-back, and it would be even better if they had a proper right-back, a right-back, because the triangles, especially on the right-hand side with Coman and... Muller would be even better but I thought some of the football they played and they should have been 2-0 up at half time instead of 0-0 for example they could easily have scored 6 I would disagree I think it should have been 3-0 up yeah yeah or 3-0 <laughs> up half time they were even really but, but I agree with Pat and especially now with Lewandowski's injury if they get a tough tough draw in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. and he's not there for the two legs I think they will really struggle without him as good as Gnabry is, as good as the Alfonso Davies story is incredible, as good as Thiago and Kimmich are in, in midfield, defensively, it's still Jerome Boateng and Alaba playing as a centre-back when it's clearly not his position. And we saw a couple of times that Chelsea had half chances or half opportunities when they went 3v3 or on the counter, Mason Mounts, and had he had a bit more pace, it would have troubled them a bit more even. So I'm still a bit... Not sceptical, but I want to see against a better position. Julian, the, the Lewandowski injury, which came curiously after the game had finished, or at least the news of it came after the, the game had finished, he performed the warm down and everything. Mm. So what are, what are the details on that? It's a little fracture on his tibia, uh, which is saying we'll have a plaster for 10 days and then he can... He can so it, it can't be that serious. It's not like a broken leg, like a full broken leg. Right. But Dr. Müller-Wolfart uh, Müller thinks that it's around four weeks off out for four weeks which again you know takes you in a title race in the Bundesliga that's closer than ever for them with Dortmund and Gladbach and, and Leipzig obviously and then the Champions League coming with the quarterfinals coming at some point because right. they will qualify four weeks he would be back for the, the quarterfinals yes he yeah. could be but still you know you don't know in, if he will be four weeks and if he can't play those two legs and in what kind of fitness he will be command picked up, picked up an injury as well during the game and we don't know yet exactly how long that will be. And Parisic is injured as well. So it's when you look at that way, you're thinking, OK, maybe they're just not as favourite as a Liverpool or a Man City or someone like that. Yeah. Just on Chelsea, um, I pointed out during the game that the last two managers to win European trophies for Chelsea were Rafa Benitez and Maurizio Sarri, neither of whom are going to ever have statues outside Stamford Bridge, I suspect. And, you know, Lampard, as we've said before, has got a lot of, Slack, given he's a club legend, but Chelsea have now lost eight games at home this season, which is the most since uh, 85 86. Mm-hmm. Obviously, right? yeah. Yeah, so um, it is starting to, to look a little bit wobbly, I think, for them. Wobbly, but he's not in danger. No, uh, absolutely not in danger um, because they don't mind it. And, and mid table will be absolutely fine. Can I just go a wee bit back. There was a wee sideline word from Julian there about Alfonso Davis. Mm. So he's only played, is it, 20 odd games, mm. and he is clearly world class and will for the next 10 years be one of the best footballers and I have no idea if he'll stay there at left full back area but he is astonishing I mean it it's, and it's not really just the pace is it 
And Nabry's got his He's got Mbappe pace. Yeah, yeah. He's got really Mbappe pace. So that whole left-hand side, you're talking about the lovely little plays in the, in the right-hand side. So there's so much to like about him. And watching the game in up close, I've seen Kimmich quite a few times, right? We all know his best position, which is everywhere. And I didn't know he had the delivery. He's got the delivery of as good as you'll see around. He took all the corners and they were vicious. So there's, they've got speciality things all over the field. Goals scored in London this season... As Serge Gnabry six, Alexandre Lacazette also six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, did you see the little clip of the Sky Germany presenter after the game uh, asking Thomas Muller about Serge Gnabry's extraordinary strike rate in London and Muller responding, "Yeah, Arsenal are perhaps asking themselves about that." Yeah, I mean, it's a bit the same with with Alfonso Davies. Serge Gnabry, when he arrived at Arsenal, or Ismail Benasser, who's now playing really well for AC Milan in Italy and with Algeria. They were just not ready. But, but it happens. It's not because you sign a player that he has to be ready straight away to shine for your team. They were very young. Gnabry was very young. He had to learn a lot of things. He had problems with injuries. I think his weight as well was an issue at the time. And it was just, it, it was just not meant to happen because it was early. It's easy not to say, oh, look, I, look at him at Bayern. Uh, why didn't he do that four years ago? Because he was not ready. He was not the same kind of player. He had to go through two loan spells in, in Germany before being able to come into that club and establish himself. And... You know, Davis is similar. People say to me, oh, but why English club didn't go and scout him in Vancouver, in MLS or French clubs? French clubs made offers. He had trials here in England. He could have very well signed for a United or a club in England. Yeah, he United chose, had a trial like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Them, no? He chose he chose Bayern Munich for, for many reasons. Right. But until until Niklas Sula and Boateng and Lucas Hernandez got injured, mm. he was not in the team. He was a left winger who could not get in the team. It's the fact that Alaba moved from left back to centre back and they needed another left back and they said, you know what, let's try Alfonso because he's left footed and because he's a quick learner, which is true, and he's a very clever kid. And he worked out great. But if Zule, if Zule, Lucas and Boateng don't get injured, I'm not sure Alfonso Davies is having the season he's having right now left back. Football's littered with, it's like sliding doors everywhere, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. I mean, and you know, everyone makes the thing, remember the thing when Harry Redknapp nearly sold Gareth Bale to Birmingham because he wasn't working out at Spurs and everyone's like, ha ha, what? what? But at the time, exactly. no one would have batted an island. Yeah, so. it's not Wenger's fault, it's not Gnabry's fault, it's not Arsenal's fault. Could I say exactly the same thing which Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne exactly. at right. Chelsea and, cool, yeah. and everyone's saying, what a terrible mistake they were. Chelsea won the league that year. So short term, they made the right decision, but long term, it was a stinker of all stinkers. It's hard to see early on. Chelsea have Bournemouth at the weekend, uh, but we're going to talk about more Champions League next. The other games. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Tuesday night in Naples, it was Napoli 1-1 with Barcelona admiring what was almost a classic Italian knockout round tactical shutdown job. James Horncastle. James, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Uh, Gattanacho, James. <laughs> almost, almost a perfect night. It was for, for Napoli, um, because who would have thought uh, a few months ago that they would be able to um, to do this, get a result against Barcelona. Um, now, Barcelona are another team in crisis, um, but uh, certainly... Top of the Liga in crisis. Top of the league in crisis. Um, it's their very own peculiar kind of crisis. But I think what's what's great about uh, watching this Catuzo side is is seeing more or less the same group of players we all kind of really enjoyed uh, watching under Maurizio Sadi play a completely 
different style, um, which in this case was uh, let's you know stay back, uh, defend deep, and then look to hit on the counter. Um, and uh, you know, Catuza did accept after the game that that wasn't entirely the plan. Barcelona did kind of force uh, Napoli back, but even so, um, to limit them to no shots on target um, in the first half. Um, and to come out of that game with some sense of regret, really, uh, listening to some of the players in senior in particular, felt they'd really missed an opportunity mm. um, to win that game. They felt that Barcelona were beatable. Callejon missed a, a really good opportunity to yeah. put them back in the lead at 1-1. Um, but I think they'll go to the Camp Nou um, confident uh, that they can they can maybe progress. Therese Mertens it was who uh, opened the scoring, equaling the all-time scoring record for the club, uh, with Marek Hamzic. His injury, I felt, cost them a lot because a lot of those chances, and there were so many chances uh, towards the end of the game against Barcelona that, that went astray, that, that Dries Mertens maybe would have maybe would have been more effective on. Uh, but uh, Antoine Griezmann, of course, equalising for the Catalans after some lovely build-up there as well. So where do you think this leaves this? Uh, leaves the, the, the tie. Barcelona are a little bit underwhelming. They will have no Busquets and no Vidal in the second leg through suspension. What's your thoughts? Well, and also this was uh, a depleted uh, Barcelona side. I think, again, that explains why um, there was some uh, there was a sour taste in Insigne's mouth after the game because um, they don't have any fit fullbacks. Now, they might have them back um, for the second leg in three weeks' time. Barcelona remain uh, very difficult um, to beat um, at the at the camp now. Um, so I think even after a performance like that from Napoli, and, and what we've seen from them in recent weeks where they have been able to get results against um, top Italian sides, um, be it Juventus, Inter uh, and Lazio as well, I think Barcelona must still go into the the, the tie as favourites. Um, but certainly, it, it is a Barcelona side that has lost its aura, seems very disjointed. Um, and Kike Setien, even though the team is is back on top of the table in La Liga, they don't seem to have dramatically improved, um, at least on, on that showing. Mm-hmm. So, it would be... Yeah, fantastic, really, um, for, for, for this, this very strange um, Napoli outfit, vintage, um, on the back of what has been the most crisis-hit, disappointing season um, in a decade, um, to, to, to maybe reach the last uh, right. uh, reach the quarterfinals. And, and Merton's at the heart of, of, of the, the issues they've been having, and, and in Signia, and it's interesting to see the papers since the game beginning to talk about possibly them staying, a lot of the rebels the, the the players who'd refused to go into retiro uh, way back in when was it october and uh, now now becoming almost too important to the club to think about moving on well and you saw the attachment that mertens has um to the club i mean his his celebration which <laughs> um waggling his tongue uh, out afterwards was um was a tribute to the uh, the kit man and the guy who makes their coffee um, during the games, um, who who was doing that dance on a, on a day at, tra- at the training centre a, a few weeks ago, um, and you you heard the chance um, after he scored and particularly after he, he injured for Chiro Chiro, which is uh, the name that they've given him because Mertens is this adopted Neapolitan. And I think you're absolutely right, James, in, in, in sensing that the momentum swung a little bit back in Barcelona's favour after he went went off injured because Mertens, more than any other player on that Napoli side, seems to really raise his game on, on European nights. He's their, their top scorer of all time in, in European history. 
yeah, they'll hope to recover him. It looks like he'll only be out for 10 days, I think, with this ankle injury. Um, but they'll certainly need him in Catalonia. Indeed. All right, then, James, many thanks. Look forward to seeing you back here on the Totally Football Show soon. Pleasure. James Horncastle. Hey, Jules, while we're at it on the subject of the Champions League, the other game, Wednesday night, Leon defeating Juventus 1-0. Ooh, Jules, how big a surprise was this Leon performance? We thought they they could have that in them, but it had to be the perfect game. Yeah. So going Did forward, you expect it? I, I thought it was going to be a one-one draw. I thought Juve would score. There was no way I could see this Juve side, even not playing well, even struggling with Sarri ball and and him to get his message across, like like James explained on Tuesday show and all of that. I still thought they would score. Right. They had fourteen shots and none on target. Which mm. I mean, okay, maybe they could have had a penalty at the end, and the ref was. Kind to Lyon, I think, not to give either the one on, on Dybala or the one on Cristiano. Yeah. But 14 shots at that level, not on target, I just I was like, wow, okay. Juve were, were kind of brain dead in their approach and Sarri was repeating the same thing after the game about how he couldn't get his message across. And it's, it's been that since the summer. It's not a great for him, for him to come out and say, yeah. I wanted them to play 100 kilometers an hour mm. and they've played 10 kilometers an hour. Mm. You think like, what? Like, like this is well, baffling. I think one of the issues, and we, it was a surprise the way Leon played, or at least the performance they put in. It wasn't so much a surprise Juve's performance because this is how they've been True. for some months now. They've been squeaking by against uh, teams that they should have been beating. Uh, they've not been displaying, as you say, Sarri ball in, in in the way that at least it's understood. And I think it goes back to this thing of when you're an incredibly dominant team in your own league, and I know they're in a title race this year, but they haven't been for. For seven, eight years, I think it means you just you lose that kind of desperation to fight for everything. You you have that kind of entitlement. I think this probably applies to PSG yeah, as, well. Yeah, as well. But I think you think ru- it's always going to work out, even if it's not working out. True, but I think the ruthlessness that they've had the last eight years mm. came from the bench as well. And if you don't have a ruthless manager on your bench like Sarri, and he's not Allegri or Conte, then then I think you lose that you lose that side because that comes very much from the spirit that your manager is implementing on his dressing room. Because the tactic is like, okay, the manager tells you how to play and you do this. But but that sort of determination and ruthlessness can only come from him. Why is he still there? Sorry. It's, yeah, it's only just come. But it's eight months. And after eight months, himself says, this is not the working. the league, Jules. Yeah, but it's not working. And my yeah. issue is, they might yeah. not win the league and they certainly won't win the Champions League if they keep playing like this. Mm-hmm. Because... I think the issue is that the people that they would like to take over are not available yet. Maybe. He wasn't their yeah, first yeah. choice. He was, what, third, fourth on yes, the list? Yes, probably. But you see, my, my point is, okay, before, mm. maybe the football was not great with Allegri, but they had that winning mentality and that ruthlessness. Right. Sarri comes in, he tries his stuff, it's not working. He admits himself, eight months on, I can't do it. I'm going to go back to what they know how to do with Allegri. But he's not Allegri, so right. he does, they don't have that ruthlessness that they had in the Allegri. I'm amazed that he's actually changed his tune and said he wants to play the way the previous manager did. Because I would have thought he'd have walked out of a job before doing that. Because Sarri wasn't like that before. Mm-hmm. Sarri would never have changed him. It's, it's a morality thing with him. So for him to change it because of the strength of the characters, the players or whatever, but I look at that group of players that he's got there and I'm thinking, well, that's not a Sarri ball team. People expecting it to happen in eight months, but shocks me. It takes longer than that because it's a whole concept. I thought Sarri would have walked out and he probably should have. And by the way, Cristiano Ronaldo, Sarri ball, no chance. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Jules, we're going to talk about the Carabao Cup final. But first of all, what is Clowngate? Yeah, very quickly, as you know, since Rudy Garcia joined Lyon, he was uh, 
not really accepted by the Lyon fans, especially right. the ultras. So they, and they've uh, they keep criticizing him everywhere, especially on social media, where the Lyon fans are a bit like the Liverpool fans here in the UK, in France. The Lyon fans are very, very active on social media. At the beginning of the week, there's a photo of Rudy Garcia as a clown with a clown face. Right. Did, was he actually, or was it kind of Photoshop? It was a Photoshop okay. uh, photo of him as right. a clown. Right. The club took it very seriously and put out a statement saying that they're going to sue everyone on what? social media that's putting out photos of Rudy Garcia as a clown because they think he's disrespectful. So the ultras have gone like, hang on a minute. Disrespectful our coach, clowns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they said like, our coach is a clown. So why can't we post, mean, you know, yeah, picture right, him as a clown? Really, and the problem is, is that now he had the opposite effect. Is that now everybody's posting Nice. Names of clowns right. about Garcia and <laughs> yeah. Jean-Michel Olas as well and all that kind of stuff. And he got out of hand completely. And he has put more pressure on the club and Garcia before the game with that clown gate than, than they wanted to like, you know, keep it, keep it down, basically. So. Tell me something about the legal framework of France that you can sue someone or suggest suing someone for putting well, the claim. What? Suing yeah. whoever you want. Uh, but yeah. anyway, that's an extraordinary story, Jules. Thank but, you for bringing us obviously, that. Obviously, it's the Clan 1 and Ultras 0 at the moment because he won last night. So. Voila. Voila. It's like they leaned in to smell his flower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Carabao Cup final on Sunday. 4.30 on Sunday, actually, at Wembley. Man City... Are taking on Aston Villa, everyone. Slight shift of uh, topic here. Uh, City are going to be going for their fifth League Cup win in seven seasons. Villa, somewhat the underdogs here, looking for their first trophy of any kind since they won this competition back in 1996. Do you remember that, Pat? It was a 3-0 win over Leeds. The highlight being a stunning opening goal from Savin Milosevic. Oh! Can Villa uh, do something similar? After all, they beat uh, Liverpool in the quarterfinals, didn't they? That is true. Yeah. The Liverpool Invitational Cub Scout eleven. yeah. Um, I don't think so. I actually think the result for City in, in Madrid is bad for Villa. Because yeah. I think if... Totally agree. Psychologically, if they'd stumbled in, in Madrid, then this could be another banana skin to clown themselves into, as right. the Leon Ultras might say. But I think now City will be really confident. You know, they can bring Aguero in. Or to bring in your Days of Thunder. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, Aguero had a nice rest in midweek. Mm. So he'll be, he's got a particularly good record against Villa. Nine goals in his last five starts against them, which is pretty good. Um, so I, c- I can't really see Villa doing I mean, there's an outside chance it could be one of those cup finals where you get a player, in this case, Jack Grealish, who really kind of, you know, turns it on. But I think Villa's defence is just too ropey. To, to the last on. two meetings between these two sides, well, in, in this season, in the league, a 3-0 win for Man City and then a 6-1 it is indeed the, the worst defence in the Premier League and the best attack in the Premier League facing off. And, and Dean Smith coming into this game uh, full of opprobrium for his, or criticism at least, for his, his players in, uh, in their performance against Southampton last weekend. And Sterling, Sterling will probably start as well. You think that after the as twenty what, minutes right he back, had, do you think? What will Pep no, do? I think, I think, I think we will go back to the normal sort of four-three-three formation. It'd be interesting to see maybe where De Bruyne plays, but Sterling would be then Aguero, like Dan said as well, and. It's hard to see how Villa can even tactically. I mean, they can. They will play five at the back in five-four-one formation, and then hope for 
not considering too many chances that their keeper Pepe Reina has an amazing game and then if they have one chance on set pieces or something and score it but it's one of those games that it's hard to see them winning it um, I'm contractually obliged to mention John McGinn in every single oh, programme I do. Is he back? Uh, no, oh. I don't care. I'm still doing because I, I mean, I've watched him in his hips right. days and I, I, I adored that kid so much for what he did. But if you look at some of the results that, that the Villa have had, you know, really don't write them off that easily. I mean, the, the semi final against Leicester, Leicester put a really strong side. And teams aren't generally hammering them. You know, there was the Watford was a 2 1, there was a 1 1 against. Uh, Brighton, you know, they're not getting hammered apart from that 6 1 that you mentioned by mm. them. It's a possibility, it's an outside possibility. I can remember because I've got such knowledge around me here, I'm not going to engage my brain. I'm going to ask you there was a game that Aston Villa played at Wembley against Arsenal a few years back. Was it a final? FA Cup final, yeah. They lost 4 0. And I remember before it saying, There's this kid called Grealish playing, and I think he's unbelievable, you know. and and he stunk the place out on the day. Yeah. <laughs> he never kicks a ball. And, you know, I think Cadorla had a brilliant game that day, right? So if Grealish can walk back after those years now and walk in and have the game that you mentioned, Dunk, there is a possibility. Because mm-hmm. remember, the City have got a problem. Defensively, they're not great all right, the time. Laporte's out. So Laporte's out. And Claudio Bravo will be back in goal for this, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. So, so don't, it's, I'm, I was at game the other night there. Um, I do go home sometimes. But the Liverpool game um, against West Ham, and by the way, what a great game of football right. it was. And it was 20 to 1 in a two horse race for right. Liverpool to win. And, so I, and I don't think this is a 20 to 1 one. I think it's much, much less than that. And West Ham should have won that game or could have won that game. So mm. I'm not writing off yet. All right, Pat. There it is. We'll find out what happens 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. But since you mentioned Liverpool-West Ham, Monday night's 3-2 thriller at Anfield, let's move on next to the Premier League. Listeners, it's time to say hello to today's sponsors, HelloFresh. HelloFresh takes the hassle out of meal planning and food shopping by delivering top-quality, fresh, pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. And with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe guides, you can cook delicious meals in next-to-no time, whether you're a dab hand in the kitchen or a complete novice. So say goodbye to those post-work dashes to the supermarket, sauces from a jar and ready meals blitzed in the microwave. Instead, get your chops around HelloFresh's 10-minute pulled chicken feta and black bean tacos, their delicious Sri Lankan fish curry with fluffy jasmine rice, or my favourite, Sicilian-style penny caponata with sausage meat and aubergine. Mm. Whether you're cooking for a family, need a balanced 600 calorie veggie dish for one or looking to try something new with 21 different recipes to choose from each week, HelloFresh has something for everyone. So for the simple way to cook fresh, head to hellofresh.co.uk and use the offer code TOTALLYFOOTBALLSHOW to get 50% off your first box and then 35% off your next three boxes. That's 50% off your first box and 35% off your next three boxes at hellofresh.co.uk when you enter the Totally Football Show with no spaces. Premier League this weekend, just eight games. Uh, Friday sees Norwich host Leicester. Saturday, Brighton have their Notter derby with Palace. Bournemouth will be trying to do a Bayern on Chelsea. Newcastle face Burnley. West Ham narrowly beaten in that spirited performance by Liverpool on Monday, host Southampton, while Liverpool go hunting a record 19th win at Watford, who are a point from safety. Sunday, there's a battle for fourth and fifth ahoy as Everton take on Man United 
and Spurs host Wolves. Let's begin with the league leaders. All that stands between Liverpool and that record is Nigel Pearson and the boys from the Vicarage. Can they hold out? What do you think? Pat, you mentioned the 3-2 win over West Ham on Monday night. Uh, they do this a lot, don't they, Liverpool? They, they Narrow performances against teams in the bottom three. Norwich was a, another one. And that's what Watford are. Do you know, um, and, and everybody's done it, and I'm going to do it as well. I'm going to offend the Liverpool fans by saying, remember Manchester United team that always used to score those late goals, right? There was 10 minutes to go. I'm sitting up in that main stand looking down. And the commentator turned around and he said, there's 10 minutes to go, there's 2-1 down. Oh, it's going to happen. I went, that's an eternity at Anfield against Liverpool, the way they play just now. And the way they the, went through the gears. And they only did it for ten minutes or five minutes or so. Mm. It was enough to do it. Now, to be honest, they could have lost other goals as well. But they are amazing for their game management at the moment. Certainly domestically, their game management's off the scale. There's lots of things. And I think every week you think of something different. But it's hard to ignore what the, the fullbacks are doing. Again, the number of goals. Now, I'm just going to pass this straight on it, Duncan, because I'm sure you've got all the stats in front of you. But I'm stunned by the fullbacks. Well, I mean, we probably remember that uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold got into the Guinness Book of Records for a world record number of assists for a defender last season, 12. He's already equaled that with 11 games to go. Um, so... There's an outside chance. I mean, everyone's looking at De Bruyne for, for matching uh, Henri's record of 20 in a season. There's an outside chance Trent could do it. Um, so that would be yeah, incredible. Well, he got two against West Ham. Yeah. And by the way, there was also a goal Should chopped off. Third yeah. One, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also the other one was Robertson on the other side. And you look at the numbers last season with the both of them. And we always get Premier League numbers thrown at us, which I think is slightly unfair. It should be all the assists they had for all the games. They're ridiculous. They're, they're getting assists numbers that any winger generally at well, any level would be delighted last, by. Since the start of last season, Alexander Arnold obviously 12 or 12, uh, 24 assists. The entire Manchester United midfield, the famous midfield in the 98-99 season, only had 26 between them. So, I mean, that kind of puts it into it's, some sort it's of it's perspective. weird, extraordinary and almost impossible to stop. All right. They are going to be visiting a Watford team that is now without a win in five games. And Liverpool played really well at Anfield. Remember, that was Nigel Pearson's first game or second yeah, game. Right. And they should have won that, or at least drew that one. They lost, I think, 2-1 maybe, but they played so, so well. So there might be reasons for them to cause problems. Do you think they'll Liverpool. stumble just when the record is there at their fingertips? I don't think they'll stumble this weekend. But I think it won't be that easy at all for them. But they've, they've, they've won those games that were not easy when they were not playing great and still find a way of winning them. So... Right. I mean, yeah. just on, on wins and that, mm. um, Mo Salah's won his last 33 Premier League games in a row because he missed the game at Old Trafford um, yeah, where Liverpool right. dropped points. Yeah, yeah. He's also scored eight goals in five appearances against the Hornets. Put the two things together and what do you got? We'll find out. Yeah. Saturday tea time. <laughs> West Ham, by the way, uh, Pat, who were impressive uh, on Monday night. Is that something they can build on, for example, this weekend as they, as they host Southampton? And, you know, I absolutely think so. Moises tried a number of things. I was at the the game where they put against Leicester quite recently, and they started with that five four one kind of thing. And honestly, it was dreadful. It was it was worse than paint dry. It was vile to watch it. And then Moises changed it in the second half and went and it might as well attack. We're getting hammered here. They attacked, and it looked worse. And he thought, oh my goodness, it's catch right to it. There's nothing they can do, right? And he goes to Liverpool, and I'm sitting and watching. What are you going to do today? Because I can't see any way around it. And he matched them up. He just matched up player for player and said to his players, why don't you just have a go? 
And that is clearly the answer that he has to say. Doesn't matter if you beat five one week and you, you win one nil the next week, that's three points out of six. That's the level you need. And I think now he just has to say, and I have a suspicion after going to Anfield and matching them up and saying, no, we're going to have a go at you. I think that's what he's going to do. And if they do that, they've got a chance. And I think that that's their only chance of okay. getting out of this. Southampton, they have a good record. against Saints themselves have a good record on the road. Uh, West Ham, just one point from safety at the moment, a point behind Villa who aren't playing in the league this week. So a victory would take them out of the bottom three. Also coming up on the weekend, Saturday lunchtime, it's the A23 derby, Brighton against Crystal Palace. A fixture with a proud place among the world's other made-up derbies. You've got one, haven't you, with Wickham? Yeah, we've got a rivalry with Colchester, which uh, was big in the 90s. And why was that? Can you remember? Yes, it dates back to the 1980s when Wickham and Colchester were drawn together in the FA Cup and there were no top flight games that day. So a load of West Ham fans came to support Colchester and a load of Chelsea fans came to support Wickham <laughs> and Wickham's town centre got uh, you Flashed. know re- remodelled. Um, and then the following season, um, the two clubs were drawn against each other again. But this time, the two sets of fans just fought each other anyway without help from West Ham and Chelsea. And since then, it kind of, you know, we were both trying to get out of the conference in the early 90s. So right. my favourite thing about it was when Marcio Neal went to Celtic as manager and they, uh, the journalists were saying to him for his first Old Firm game, you know, how are you going to cope with the, the passion of the, of the Old Firm and the kind of intensity? He said, look, if you've been through Colchester Wickham, you've been prepared for anything. And most he of the people in the room, he did. And most of the people were like, That's what? Amazing. What is that? That's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, similar story, I guess, for Brighton and Crystal Palace, the uh, the roots of whose enmity is... is uh, way back in the midst of time but involves Terry Venables and possibly the theft of a chant. There was also the incident, wasn't there, when they played each other in the playoffs in the There's championship. The, incident, the yeah, I think, no? Oh. And I, I only found out yesterday, researching Pugay, as it's known, that a couple of years later, Palace admitted that it was their coach driver. Who, oh, really? Who was ill. So there were quite there was a lot of recriminations at Brighton at the time because someone thought a Brighton employee had had done it. Yeah, but it turned out it was just had the, done had left feces, kind of taking yeah. parking the bus to a, to a new <laughs> bleak right. right, but it was actually the bus driver. Yeah, wow, good lord. Uh, well, moving forward to this weekend, uh, Brighton, the only Premier League team yet to win in 2020. Palace only got their first win of the calendar year last Saturday. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's going to be, I mean, all derby games or faux derby games are pretty, you know, scrappy affairs generally. Mm. I think this has got the potential to, to take the biscuit. I mean, both teams in, in not very good form. I mean, it's Roy Hodgson's 100th Premier League game in charge of Palace, which is a little milestone. Right. I love the fact he's got such the most incredible consistency, Hodgson. He, his win percentage at his club's 36% at West Brom. Wow. 35% at Liverpool, 35% at Blackburn, 34% at Fulham, right. and 33% at Palace. So, you know, slight room for improvement, but not much. Wow, that is remarkable, isn't it? OK, let's move on then to the race for fourth and fifth, which sounds dramatic this weekend. A key fixture in that comes at Goodison Park Sunday at 2 o'clock as Everton host Man United. This, Pat, was the scene of arguably Solskjaer's biggest humiliation so far as United boss, and obviously that's quite a broad field. <laughs> but they had a 4-0 defeat there last April. And you remember he had to go and apologise to the the travelling fans. Uh, this this United, they look different though. They look better now. They do, but so do Everton. Um, oh. It's an improvement from Everton. Certainly Carlos 
changed quite a bit in there and we have to throw a bit of Duncan Ferguson in there as well I think this could be the game of the weekend I think because there's positivity around the place um, I think this is the one that you almost want to be at more than anyone else um, for Man United it is a little bit difficult because the difficult times they have had are the, the times they've looked terrible actually I was going to say Solskjaer-esque that would have been harsh um, but they don't look themselves they don't look like a Manchester United team I have been away from home there was an Arsenal game a little while back there where it was so bad you, you cannot believe how poor they were that night part of it was down to some of the bad decisions that Solskjaer made um, but he's going to have to outthink a top class manager again and this time who's actually okay. getting the best out of his team and I'm not sure Solskjaer's done that well What do you make then of Ancelotti's Everton are you convinced that there's a, a direction here? Do you know the thing I like about it most right I was at Everton a couple of days ago there. Just I went in to see some people there just before I went to the Liverpool game and they said we don't understand why has he come to us it's so exciting he's come to us and, you know, he's such a world class manager and, and oddly a couple of things number one yeah it's a, he probably came as a two year you know Carlo thing he's got there he's fallen in love by anyway he's absolutely fallen in love with the club and, and it, 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 that doesn't happen with all managers and I was trying to figure out why he'd done it um, and it's, I think it's something got to do with getting to a club that feels like the real thing again you know you sometimes you're at these top world class clubs you can't feel it because it's very corporate above you. Right. Carlo wants something. And I included Chelsea in that as well. That was part of what was happening to him a lot of the time. He's walked into that club and if you spend time in that club, it's extraordinary. The effect it has in the community, the, the closeness it has to the community. Carlo spends his time walking about in the centre of Liverpool. Smelling it's the mints. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. He is absolutely falling in love with it. He loves everything around it. Um, and I just think they're buying into that. He's buying into him. He's getting the best out of the players. What he's done um, with his centre forward, Calvert-Lewin, it's unbelievable, isn't it? It's mm. absolutely stunning. Are they going to beat United this weekend? Um, I wouldn't be shocked by it. I absolutely wouldn't be shocked by it because he's got the best out of them. And by the way, Gomez being back. Yeah. Did anyone see that? I was there no. the day that that's, that happened, and it's one of the things. Oh my God, that could be the career. Well, an interesting back. Portuguese midfield uh, duel as he mm. comes up against Bruno Fernandes. Mm. But he did look uh, like he improved Everton a, a lot when he came on against Arsenal last There's weekend. There's through that. Uh, Leno had to come out of his box to save because Bellerin is a bit sure that I think even Sigurdsson complained that only Gomez can play that ball through in that Everton team. And for him to uh, to come back for them, is, I think it's a big boost just for things like that. All right. Another big game in that race for fourth and fifth. Everton, by the way, are down 11th, but win this and they'd only be two points behind Man United. He said stretching things a bit, but uh, Spurs and Wolves, meanwhile, Spurs coming into this just a point behind United in sixth. Wolves are only a point behind them. Uh, Mourinho versus Nuno, speaking of Portuguese duels. Nuno, who played for Jose at Porto, if you were hiring a manager right now, Jules, I wonder which you'd pick. I'd pick Nuno. Mm. And, and there's also obviously the fact that not they just not played for each other, uh, also very close friends because of Jorge Mendes. Nuno you know, was the first um, client of Jorge Mendes. So there's a lot of background in that story. But I still do think that today, despite Mourinho not being the, the manager that he, he was one day, I still think that for any Portuguese manager facing Mourinho mm. is like, okay, this is the ultimate test. And whether that's Souza, AVB, Nuno, whoever, I think when you're Portuguese, Mourinho means so much to Portuguese football that you must have that sort of extra motivation of like, I need to beat him, I need to outsmart him tactically, I need to find something 
to, to beat him. And it's always a big test. And I think it would be exactly the same for Nuno going to Tottenham on, on Sunday to try to prove again, look, I can, I can do better than you. I can tactically end. Let's be honest, this season at Spurs, there's not many managers who didn't outsmart Jose. And we saw that with Lampard last weekend as well. So I would not be surprised if Nuno, you know, keeping in three, his 3-4-3 three, three formation because that's, that's always the plan, but finds a way of beating Mourinho tactically. OK, Wolves in action this Thursday evening. 4-0 up from the yeah, first leg the against Espanyol. They play the kids. I mean, the only thing you can say is obviously Spurs didn't have a game this week, so Mourinho's had a whole week to prepare his excuses for Sunday. So <laughs> it's, 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 also not, it's also not got a striker. Right. Really? He should, he should have mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, meanwhile, remember this. From Azpilicueta, back in from Lerma, and the flag stays down. It does, it goes up in the end as Gosling is cleared off the line anyway, but the flag's already up. Unfortunately, Gosling thought it was in. Calm down for a second, Willow, because Gosling, I think, is onside, and that ball, I think, has gone over the line. What's Graham Scott saying? He's got his finger to his ear, he's getting the message, he's picking up the ball, Graham Scott, and he has given the goal! VAR! Just when you need it most! Yeah, that's the sound of Dan Gosling's stunner last December, when he brilliantly read Chelsea's defence and kind of backed in towards goal, uh, to score a, a, a wonderfully opportunistic strike, which won the game for. It's funny that I for, thought you were going to. You found somewhere a tape, a recording of him uh, moaning about the referees not being too nice with to John Moss and all like that. Oh, yeah, so right. This, like Care Bear World, or what? Like what kind of what kind of world are we in? Well, if so, you're going to say Bournemouth, surely as the nearest club to Peppa Pig World, you'd, I don't know that. <laughs> Is there such a thing as Peppa Pig World? Yeah, yeah. where's that? Poulton's Park. About midway yeah. between Southampton and Bournemouth. What happens when you go to the Peppa Pig world? Um, you were in a world summer. of magic and Peppa Pig. Have you been, Duncan? I went once, yeah. All right. I went last last summer. I was there with all three Lawrence's children. Pat, have you been to... Best day of my life. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give him chin off the floor. <laughs> okay. But having said that, I'm down at Bournemouth for the game, so I'll pop oh, along going to Peppa Pig. You're going Pink. to this game, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Bournemouth's looking to do the double, clearly, over Chelsea. Uh, they also hammered... Uh, the Blues in this fixture 4-0 when was that last January Uh, where do you stand by the way on Dan Gosling calling out referee John Moss for being snide about their relegation I'm really happy you say that because I ain't no snowflake and I kind of like a little bit of digs here and there but you know what if the referee, you're going to have a little dig like that, just accept the stuff that you're going to get back from Does the players. Does it happen a lot? I love it when it's two-way, but it must be two-way. Right. You know, it's, so, it's, it's always one way, right? Yes. Players insulting the refs. Correct. So why, why can't it be sometimes the well, other way around? Then, do you know what? Because you're supposed to put them in a slight pedestal. It's like your headmaster at school mm-hmm. and all yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. Right. So if he turns around and he snide to you and clever, clever with and you... He, the he, allegation was that he talked about Bournemouth, oh, you guys are going down. No? Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it's kind of one of the things that would offend them. To be honest... If I said, if a referee said that to me, I would say, okay, it's open season, I'm allowed to have a dig back. That's fine. Mm. But if the referee then books you for having a dig back, then it's not. As long as it's two way. Wait till Dan Gosling finds out about Matt Davis Adams. He's going to be furious. Yeah. What's what's Matt done? Excuse me, my friend Matt. Well, Matt's, uh, no, he's been harsh on Bournemouth and the causes of Bournemouth. Uh, really? He's basically he tipped them for going down somewhere back at the start of the season, more or less, which caused uh, you know outbreaks of hilarity. But how right uh, he could potentially be? Although I'm just looking at the table now, Bournemouth are where? Oh no, they're only uh, two points above the bottom three. Big game that against Chelsea. A Chelsea team reeling from Tuesday night's hammering by Bayern Munich. That game coming up uh, three o'clock Saturday. Also this weekend, a couple more games to bring you. Uh, Norwich face Leicester on Friday night. Leicester 
haven't had a goal from Jamie Vardy in eight games. And Norwich see that and raise them. Uh, haven't scored from open play in the Premier League since New Year's Day. You excited about this clash of Canaries and Foxes, Jules? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And Vardy was interesting if you look at the game against City, for example, where he didn't score, but I think his expected goals was 0.45, which is a very decent expected goal stats for a, a striker like him. So I think that the chances are there. He's going through a bit of a drive. There was the the birth of the baby. I think, you know, the even the team as a whole is not playing as well as they were in the first half of the season when he was scoring so freely. So I think he will come back. Uh, and and I think Norwich with a very leaky defence could be the, the place for him to, to get back on the score sheet again but it's, it's been a bit tougher for, for Leicester the last few weeks yeah, understandably so though isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah, I mean definitely. if you're, you've played against Chelsea you've played against Wolves and you've played against Manchester City mm. it's a tough gig you know but they still find themselves in third place and I have to say now Leicester City at Chelsea I was at that game it's my favourite game of the season so far yeah, yeah favourite game of the season so far and the reason being, so many games we go to see just now, and it is a game of chess, isn't it? You know, it's tactically this, and we talk of Pep doing this, and you know, and it's great. We all love that, and particularly on the Total Football Show, we love that. And now and again, you want people to say, forget all that, let's just have a game of football. <laughs> just go and attack each other. And there was no tactics, and it was brilliant. And it was like Brendan and uh, Frank had come up between each other before the game and said, do you know what, should we just leave the tactics and just have a, a game of football? It, honestly, it was like a park game. I loved it. You need that cleanser now and again. Your favourite game of the season so far, but then we haven't had Newcastle-Burnley yet, <laughs> Pat Nevin. Uh, which, so we'll come back to you next week and see what you yeah. think about that. No team has scored fewer Premier League goals than Newcastle. Fewer shots, fewer touches in the opposition box. Burnley, on the other hand, are flying. 13 points from the last 15 available. But I was at uh, Newcastle-Norwich, uh, and for me, that was the best game of the season. It was... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> OK, all right. Now, still to come, we're going to be dipping into the post bag. Lots of questions about Chelsea and hearing about a huge weekend in Europe, including the latest on Alan Pardew's adventures with Den Haag. First, though, here's producer Ben with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Producer Ben here on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power surprisingly. Lee, let's start with the Premier League, please. Um, Ancelotti versus Solskjaer on Sunday. Is it going to be a happy away day, though, for United when they go to Goodison Park? Well, to be totally honest with you, we're not sure, which I think actually is fair enough to say about any game featuring United or Everton. Our odds are incredibly tightly priced, given neither sides with the most convincing this season. Everton are 6-4 to four to win it, United are 9-5. to five. Or, to translate those numbers into the same ballpark, we rate Everton's chances at 30-20, to 20, United's at 36-20. to 20. Very, very close. The draw is 23-10, to 10, while Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the most likely player of the two sides to score. Further down the league, it's Brighton, the only team in the top division yet to win this year. Um, so what are the odds, please, on them taking all three points against Crystal Palace? My mind's telling me no, but my traders, my traders are telling me yeah. Brighton are even money favourites to win this game, and with it take three valuable points and the fictional Derby bragging rights. Neither team, though, are exactly on hot streaks, but Palace did win last time out. It's 11-4 to they do so again here. While Brighton have drawn their last three on the bounce and four out of the last five, so shared spoils at 11-4 to could be interesting. All four of those Brighton draws, by the way, have been score draws. So here's one to look at. 7-2, to that this one is a tie with both teams notching. And finally to Wembley, the Carabao Cup final, Aston Villa versus Man City. How high are those numbers stacked against Villa? <laughs> yeah what can I say they're up against it 
I don't really know how to dress it up. Usually, you suggest a pair of heels, perhaps. But they already face one almighty heel in the shape of Pep Guardiola's men. In the match odds betting, we go 16-1 to for a Villa win, with Man City priced at 1-8. to A draw and extra time is 13-2. to We go 10-1 to a team wins an extra time, or 16-1 to is decided on penalties. Manchester City to win the League Cup, regardless of method, is 1-25. to You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. A big weekend in the way, Jules. You flagged this up on Tuesday, actually, how there's this convergence of massive fixtures. Carabao Cup, Juve Inter, which they're now saying may actually... Have a crowd. They may they may have decided not to hold it behind closed doors. As it stands, the ruling was that five games this weekend in Italy would be held without any uh, attending fans because of the the fears over COVID nineteen. Uh, there's also the Clasico in Spain Sunday night, Real against Barcelona, Ajax taking on Ezid Alkmaar in the top two clash in the Eredivisie. Some other stuff, probably. Yeah, the and Rhone, the Rhone Derby in the France. Derby du Rhone. MLS starting as well. MLS starting. Have you heard their new theme tune? Yeah. Composed by Hans yeah, Zimmer. Zimmer. It sounds like this. Wow. Talk about Days of Thunder. I mean, yeah. who would you pick to have a, a theme tune for the Premier League? A new theme tune for the Premier League? Like... The, the, who would be the Hans Which Zimmer? Which composer? Yeah, Hans Zimmer of the Premier League. Well, how do you mean? Uh, in what way? Like, would you would you get Elton John to, to do something on the piano? Or? Mm. Who would you go for? I don't know. Alexis Sanchez, maybe. <laughs> Got to do something. <laughs> the piano. <laughs> the piano. Um, I'm not sure. George. It's an interesting question. Yeah, well, uh, you know, perhaps listeners have a thought of their own. Anyway, so uh, I can't believe you don't know this, and you haven't even mentioned the biggest game of the weekend. Is it in Scotland? Yeah, Hebs Hearts. Ah, wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, that'd well, be I've, huge. I've always wanted to go to that. Yeah. But you've never been, yeah? There's a reason. Yeah? No, I d- Duncan, we'll go together because yeah. I'd be curious as well. Sing a bit of Sunshine on Leith. Yeah, exactly. That'd be yeah. so emotional. <laughs> so, you're, so you're saying Hebs are going to win anyway? Because they always sing that at the end of Hebs win. Oh, is it only yeah. when they win? See, that's how much I but know. That, but when, <laughs> when Hibs finally won the Scottish Cup after all those years yeah, and, the, and the crowd singing that at the end, that was... Do you know the story about that? That would never have been seen other than the fact that I, in the studio, said, I refuse to speak now. And they had to go out and show the footage because because they were just going to talk in the studio and they said, I will not talk. We did a great thing. Wow. <laughs> so, all right, well, now, Jules, you're going to go because you're going to go off and do some five live. Yes. All right, well, have a great one and I'll see you later. Thank for you very much. The Beatles Sport show. Talking of Dutch football, um, yeah. did we see that uh, Alan Pardew is very much on trial in The Hague at the moment? Um, <laughs> the fans, the supporters basically invaded training this week to with clipboards to complain about the tactics and management of Adam Den Haag. With clipboards? Because they're really unimpressed with how, how it's going. So wow. that's they're not... great fans, aren't they? I mean, they began, they welcomed him with that incredible Ghostbusters display. Mm. But now they're, you know, enacting. now it's really turned into a horror film. So right, uh, yeah, not good. That's slightly different from the Italian fans who turned up at the training grounds. That was slightly Fish. a wee bit more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, a massive weekend of football all around the continent. Uh, I mentioned your questions. Quite a few on Chelsea, but let's start off with this one from Phil. He says, "How do the panel react to Man City emotionally? They've always left me cold. At least with Chelsea," says Phil. You could hate them. Well, that's a bit harsh, mm. but... I kind of know what he means 
in a sense, and I guess we've kind of seen that this season with the fact that there's record viewing figures for the Premier League, even though Liverpool are running away with it, right. because everyone kind of wants to see Liverpool make history. Well, most people do. And yet people don't hate Man City? I think City... Are they seen as something like an abstract concept? Yeah, it's more of a kind of art installation, particularly the Pep era. <laughs> it's a, you know, you can, you can be wildly impressed by City, but I think if you sat a random person down on the street and said, name your five best City Premier League performances of the last decade, some don't spring to mind immediately. Well, it's because they're all the same. Yeah, um, and they're all rather good, <laughs> you know, so there is that. But on the subject of Man City in general, I'm not suggesting people should hate them, just that it's curious to have a team mm. that was so dominant and, and do it, as you say, with, by means of extraordinary, with the injection of extraordinary wealth that it, it hasn't uh, stirred up I more. mean, I guess the, the, the one City moment that will live on forever Aguero. is the Aguero, yeah. And that very much was, you know, they were, they were grasping glory from adversity there. And I mm. guess if you, you know, if you do win the league by 19 points, if you do get 100 points, it does just become a bit, you know... James, but, uh, James, I think it's a brilliant point. I think you're, you're, you're digging to get to somewhere that is actually very important. And I think you're, you're right. You know, had that been any other team who had done it in this way, that, you know, the authorities have come down hard on them and, and basically financial doping. That's mm. the phrasing that would be used just now. So we have to be serious about City, you know. They're not all cuddly all the time. And yes, Chelsea got hammered for that. Battered for that under Roman Abramovich. Yeah. Um, and even people didn't like Man United because it was a big behemoth. That they Is had it because Man City went through so much, mm-hmm. so many hard times? Mm. Yeah, and, and they are outsiders. I mean, they've come from not exactly nowhere. And is it also the fact that they not Man United off the Mancunian perch? Yeah. That well, well, also, I feel sorry in some ways for the for the true City fans who were there in you know, the League One era and stuff because I think the difference between City and Liverpool and Manchester United and Arsenal and whoever is that they've got just as loyal fans that go you know, home and away, but they don't have this kind of social media presence as much. And I mm. think that has hampered them a little bit when it comes to uh, when they are in the news for stuff like they are recently. You know, they don't have this kind of huge groundswell of support. And yeah, that's what we see. Right. OK. Christian asks, will Tammy Abraham develop into the top striker Chelsea need him to be? He didn't gamble on a couple of great crosses that Chelsea did create in the Bayern match. Where do you stand on Tammy Abraham, Pat? Um, yeah, still really young. And it's the classic moment where you watch Lewandowski when the ball is played across to him and he's standing at the back post with uh, the kind of <laughs> cigarette in his hand going, yeah, I'll just tap this one in. Because he knows how to get there all the time. Chelsea do the th- same things 10 minutes before, zipped across and Tommy's not there. Mm. And it's exactly where you should be. And that sometimes takes a wee while to get that. You know, Lewandowski's can always do that. I can almost guess the next question. Is it a natural thing? You do strikers, I've played with plenty of strikers, where if I put it in there, I'll turn away before he scores because I know he'll be there. You know, I played with Aldridge and McCoy's and people like that. It doesn't matter, they're going to be there. And that's what they're asking. Well, that's interesting because even uh, in the autumn when Abraham was scoring a lot, he hadn't had a single shot in the six-yard box. All his all his goals were from either outside the box or round about the penalty spot. So, so he, what is the answer to your, your question, Pat? That can can you learn that? Is that something that develops? No, you can learn it. Um, you can. But not to a level of a Lineker and all them. And, and, yeah. and you know exactly the type of player we're talking about here. And you, Do you think he has it in him? I don't actually think it's that difficult with Chelsea to do it. And the reason being the I've got there's about four or five of them at the moment but you've and got somebody who's on the way. yeah on the right hand side Reese James is right. as good as anyone you know up there with Alexander Arnold and with the Beckhams as a quality crosser right now that's that's a big call to make but he, he has got that delivery do you know what 
you're an idiot if you don't realise he's going to do that after a while. Keep on getting there. Now, Tammy's got there a few times this season, actually not managed to score the goals for him, but he's got there a few times. And if you just keep on doing it, he will... A, learn it, and B, it will become natural after a while. All right. Dan- Danny Barrigan was asking if you stood by your rating of Reese James as equal to Alexander-Arnold from a previous podcast. Clearly, you do. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's phenomenal. Of, of the quality of the... Now, not not the consistency of at the moment, not the... It's a very technical thing, the technical ability to put it. I think there's one guy who's even better than them all. At technical ability. He crossed cross a ball just now from particularly dead balls. And I think Snodgrass is maybe the best that there is. Just, yeah, he's probably the best that there is. Pure, the technical ability to do it. But that's... He'll not make as many goals. He'll not... You know, they don't get as many up the pitch. But the quality of crosses, mm. particularly from dead balls from him, is beyond unbelievable. It's just wow. amazing. I mean, that Liverpool game was that the other night. That honestly, it was it was a joy to watch it. Everywhere you looked, and there was this this one thing that everyone used to say only ever Beckham. Mm. And I'm looking around, and I'm seeing four, five, and six people that are that quality at the moment. Pat, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's been a real treat. Uh, Julien, of course, uh, also part of today's proceedings. Lovely to have him on board, as well as the very great Duncan Alexander. We will return with the Totally Football Show early on Monday morning. Sasha Gurionov, Daniel Story and Carl Anker will be in Sunday night to round up the weekend for you. Uh, do hope you have a super weekend and join us then on Monday morning from now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, oh, you, look at you lazy-eyed and you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy Knees Media.